0: We're continuing our series through the book of Jonah, and this is one of those passages that has meant so much to me, not in the way of um, comfort necessarily, but in the way of understanding what's going on in my heart, understanding how to navigate strong emotions, particularly anger, and... Um, We're actually going to read the last verse in chapter 3 of Jonah, and then the first four verses of chapter 4, and then we'll close out the book next week. And so remember, Jonah preaches sort of half-heartedly to the Ninevites, the enemies of the Jewish people, and they immediately repent, like immediately. And... God's response to their repentance is that he relents from disaster. He relents from punishing them. And so he doesn't enact just punishment on the Ninevites. And so that's where the story leaves off and where we'll pick up. It says So in Jonah 3, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. And this is the very interesting thing about the, the whole book of Jonah. It says, but, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And Jonah was angry. And so he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So one of the things that I would invite us all, we spend a moment of silence before we preach a sermon here at Redeemer. And we're asking God some, something in that space together. And so what, what I would like for us to ask God as, as we sit in silence for a moment is that he would reveal some of the roots that are in our hearts, maybe of anger, maybe of other strong emotions, but that he would begin to do his healing work of showing us what's going on deep in the recesses of our hearts. Okay, so let's spend some moments in silence and I'll pray and we'll talk about this text. Let's pray. Lord, come now and do the work that only your spirit can do. Do that work that uh, exposes and reveals what's deep in our hearts, and then do the better work of replacing that heart with the heart of Christ and showing us that you have come to excavate that which is not of you. You have come to give us a heart that beats after your steadfast love, a heart that can extend grace and mercy and compassion to anyone, no matter how how much they've wronged us, no matter how bad it hurts, that you have come to pour that level of love and grace into this world through your church, filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Lord, this is the great calling of the church. This is the great calling of those who know you. And it's the same message uh, to both those who have heard you for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and those who are just hearing of it for the first time today that the challenge of the gospel is that you have come to infuse this world with love of enemy. The love that that you gave to the world at the cross is the same love that you are pouring out into the world through human beings today. And so would you do that? Would you do that even now as, as we look at this text, as we think about, Um, how to navigate the pains and the hurts that we've caused others in this life and and those pains and hurts that we've received, and help us to know uh, not just what to do with that, but to move into the lives of others and give them the gospel. So we ask that in Christ's name, amen. So um, we'll talk about today the the root of anger and then how to begin the process of uprooting the anger um, in the life of a human being. So if you look at your text, uh, the root of Jonah's anger, he actually, he actually names it very, very clearly in verse 2. What was making Jonah angry is God's grace and his mercy and his compassion and his love towards those who have hurt Jonah, towards Jonah's enemy. Now, here's what we've been saying all along at Redeemer. We are a community that's being changed by the gospel. And what that means is that we are constantly, every human being at all times, because the gospel is dynamic, every human being is constantly being drawn to God or repelled away from Him. Like when you you walk into each day, That is what's at play, that there is no static relationship that we have with God. We're either either growing closer and closer to Him, or we're growing further and further away precisely because of who He is. Now, you see that vision and mission of God to the people of Nineveh as they are His enemies, But what I want you to see as well is that this is the mission and vision of God to Jonah himself. He's he's teaching Jonah the gospel. He's teaching the insider what it means that he's gracious and merciful and slow to anger. And look how Jonah responds. Look at verse 1. After God relented from making the Ninevites, the Syrians pay, the literal translation is that Jonah thought this was evil. Jonah thought that that God's grace was exceedingly bad, is how the text puts it, and he was angry. And so he prayed to God. Now, this is a man of prayer in the covenant community of God. He said, God, this is exactly why I didn't want to obey you. I knew you would do this. I I knew that you were gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster, and so I don't want to live anymore. That's what he says. He's saying, I don't want to live in a world where those people get off free. I don't want to have a God who loves the people that have destroyed my family and my culture and my nation. And it's in, it's in God's word. Jonah, Jonah would be like, you, you have said all throughout the Psalms, your enemies will come cringing to you, God. And so if these aren't your enemies, then the whole universe in my mind is inconsistent with what I've always believed about it, so it'd be better that I die. I don't make sense in this universe, because it doesn't make sense to me. Now what's happening right there, you guys, is that Jonah had dropped the gospel. He lost it. Doesn't mean he lost his salvation, but he did lose his awareness of what the gospel is and how it functions. And the gospel says that God's love for people is independent of their response to him. This is the bizarre thing about what Christians believe that God's love for people is independent of their response to him. And therefore, what that means is that God can love his enemies just as much as he loves people that are inclined in that particular day towards him, to obey him. That's great news for the Assyrians. But what does Jonah think about that? The root of Jonah's anger is that as he was processing his life, he was thinking, God's not giving me what I think I deserve, and he's not giving the Ninevites what I think that they deserve. And you guys, this is what happens when you you learn so much when you engage in what the church has historically called evangelism. But when you move out into the world and you speak to people about Jesus, who you think are God's enemies, oftentimes what happens, you guys, is that God heals those people that you thought would hate God, and then what it does is that the gospel begins to turn the mirror on your own heart. And you begin to to be self-reflective and you begin to observe how your heart is responding to people getting healed by the gospel. And there's apparently in our text, even though the work of the gospel manifested itself greatly in Nineveh, there's still a lot of work to do in Jonah's heart with God's own people. As one commentator said, he said it so well. He said, God is more concerned with his servants than their service. So, and I, you guys, this is what we have been praying all the time. This is what we have been living all the time at this church. We were seek, seeking to live. Whenever you see a baptism at this church or whenever you have a profession of faith at this church, we say this all the time. We say, God, we, we hope that you work mightily in this person. But ultimately, at the end of the day, where their identity truly rests is in Christ. That the, the name of God, that's, that's their ultimate hope that they belong to God, and they may do great things, but whether they do great things or terrible things, what our ultimate hope in is, is in Jesus' Jesus's very name, Jesus' righteousness on that person. And you can see how those two things are, are drastically confusing to, to Jonah. You know, he's kind of like slipping in and out of the gospel. Um, and what I don't want you to hear me say is that he's, he's not slipping in and out of losing his salvation. That's impossible. If, if God has saved somebody, if he's united himself to a human being, that, is, that can never, ever change. But what does change all the time and what's always in flux is our awareness of how the gospel plays itself out in our lives. And what I mean by that is seen in Jonah when he went from disobeying God and went the opposite direction to nihilism. You remember he's like, just throw me off the the boat. I'm, I'm ready to die. I'm the problem. To repentance in the great fish. To half-hearted obedience, but here in our passage, and this is where we all must pay great attention to our own hearts, here in our passage, he has a major, major relapse. And he dropped the gospel, totally. And what God's doing, this is how gracious and kind he is. He's, he's in the process of revealing to Jonah, like, look, look, Jonah, there's something in your heart that I want to take out. And it requires me to loosen the soil around this root that has hardened deep in your soul. And it goes, goes very, very far. And part of what part of what's challenging about understanding the gospel is that even when we have major things happen to us by the by the hand of God, that God used Jonah to bring healing to an entire nation, oftentimes that too can even distract us from the work of God because we become self-reliant. For instance, and I don't know, if, if you've walked with God for any time in this life, you probably notice that there's a pattern where God may, may do something great in you or in a day and you feel close to Him. You feel like, oh, this, like, this stuff is true. Um. And then right on the heels of that, oftentimes what happens is something super, super challenging comes up. I call them Belrog moments in uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, where Gandalf defeats the demon. He's walking away and he gets tripped up by his, uh, by his whip and he gets pulled down into the, the dark world. But it can, it can go like this. You know, you have a wonderful night with your spouse and you're like, this, this was an amazing time with the one that I love most in this world. And you walk into work the next morning and you find yourself attracted to somebody that isn't them. And you're like, what is that? You have a clean bill of sobriety for, for years and you have one glass of wine and then you're gone for the next three months. You have a worship experience like uh, at, at a place like this with your family, and it's amazing. You're like, I'm in the presence of God. Like, I love the gospel. And then you get in the car, and you and your family have the worst fight you've had in years. And the strange, here's the strange thing about the gospel-centered person. This is, this is the unique thing about the gospel, is that when you slip morally or when you have some sort of failure, or you do the thing again that you knew you, knew you shouldn't have done, you can actually be drawn closer to God in those moments. That's its uniqueness. That God is is lifting, is lifting the head of those who have fallen down, and he says, I still love you. And he's lowering the head of those who come in their own achievement and pride. And that's why, if you, a lot, a lot of times when life is going well or when you're successful, when you achieve something, you don't sense God's nearness because you're re- relying on your own competencies. And this is what, what God is wanting to root out of Jonah. And this is why the Assyrians love God <laughs> because they literally have nothing to offer back to them except their disobedience. And God wanted to show them kindness. Now, it's very important to know how your heart handles a God that wants to be kind towards those people who have hurt you. This is what is being revealed to Jonah. God's wanting to show him the roots that are deep in his heart. And I, the more I listen to people, the more I hear. I don't think people on the whole struggle with a God of justice. I think we all struggle with a God that shows unconditional Grace and compassion to people. You know, the the power of God for salvation in the gospel is not for those who do the right thing. But this is what changed Martin Luther, the German one. The power of God for salvation is to everyone who believes. It doesn't mean that when we see injustice in the world that we, we shouldn't seek to stamp it out or to defend victims, nor does it mean that uh, you know, if you're in an abusive relationship that you should, you should stay in that. But what it does mean is that the gospel is the only way to pursue justice without getting angry all the time. And the, the question is, uh, how do we know if we become like Jonah? And this is where I want us to do the deep internal work of being introspective. Um, how do you relate to the people that you disagree with? How do you handle thinking about the people that irk you? Are the people that have wronged you? Are the people that have taken something from you? And here's the next question Do you desire their goodness? I have a fascination with billboards along highways, and I have always been very interested in the ones that are particularly moral. <laughs> they make some sort of moral claim, whether it's secular or religious, and apparently there's one, as you're leaving Lincoln, that says, you are now leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, immoral, perverted city. You guys seen this? Seen it? Um, now, here, here's, here's how we practice this, okay? Okay. Um, I know my heart did something when I read that. Notice what your heart is doing right now towards a billboard like that. And what it's seeking to do, whether you agree with that sentiment, whether you disagree with or you're, you're uh, defensive right now, what the heart is seeking to do is to justify itself by picking a side and saying, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard or like, I kind of agree. And what God is is doing constantly is that He's uprooting the ways in which you make yourself distinct from another person or another group of people. And that's where anger is rooted. And I want you to consider something for a moment. What do you think God's billboard to Jonah would say? It's clear in the passage. Jonah, I love the Ninevites. They are my image. You are too, Jonah, but they are as well. Now, guys, this is why Jonah wants to die. Because he's like, if there's no distinction between me and them, I don't want to live in that world. I don't want to be around those people. Y'all think we do this? We'll talk about the irrationality of anger next week, but this is where God's profound question, you could think about this question for two decades and never come to the end of it. So God's got Jonah where he wants him, and he says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? That's the beginning of God seeking to uproot that anger in Jonah's heart, and he does it through invitation. With this question, God is inviting Jonah to just just reflect. God doesn't start with accusation because he knows he's the great surgeon. He knows where the cancer is and how to get to it. And this is what the Lord is determined to create in his followers. And Please hear me. Please hear me clearly. More than accomplishing something through us. You want to talk about mission and vision? Listen, more than accomplishing something through us. God wants to first accomplish something in us. And what he wants to accomplish is a disposition of grace and mercy towards those who have hurt you. That's what he's wanting in Jonah. More than what he can do, he wants to change who he is. Now, God is so kind to us, you guys. He is so kind. He typically starts that work with us with people that we love. And He has us start there. Typically in a family. And He's like, okay. Can you love your mom and dad? Can you love your spouse? Can you love your children when they hurt you? The mission and vision of gospel-centered People begins in the home, and then he moves us out into communities like a church, and he has us practice that grace-giving way of life with another community. But you guys, the purpose of the church is to take that gospel-living life and give it to the world. That's the purpose of the church, and Jesus says, I know you don't think that it's going to work, but I promise you the gates of hell will not prevail against what I'm doing through my people. Because evil can't beat Jesus. Now, do you guys remember, so how, what does this look like? What does this look like in the world? I want to give you a big example then I want to hone in on more practical ways in which it may manifest itself in our homes. You guys remember that uh, AME church in, in Charleston, South Carolina, right? That got shut up by a guy named Dylan Roof, right? Do you remember uh, the trial of Dylan? There was about seven or eight church members that were allowed to stand up and speak like directly to Dylan Roof and you can see how bad they were hurt you could see how much that they had basically their families have been uprooted and in some ways destroyed both physically and emotionally and every single one of those people in that church these brothers and sisters said you have you have done a terrible thing Dylan but I forgive you and I want God for you That's what it looks like in the world, y'all. God intends to reveal the power of the gospel through people. And it starts with Jesus and then continues on in the church. And so uh, let's drill down in our own lives for a moment. As you dwell on the people that have hurt you, like the Ninevites have hurt Jonah, and that they may continue to hurt you, the question is, it's very, very poignant, do you do well to be angry? These brothers and sisters at the AME church knew that that wasn't the way to go, anger. And you see the wisdom of the timing of it here with Jonah when God asked the question. You know, God never, ever asks us a question for information. You know, (laughs) He's not ignorant of what's actually going on. It's, it's, he's helping Jonah come to the realization on his own. He's the great counselor of human beings. He's wanting to deal with the gnarly stuff inside of our hearts, but he gets to it from the side. He's subversive. And one of my mentors says that, um, you know, sin, sin always functions for us, and that's, that's what it was doing for Jonah. The anger that he lived with functioned for him, and allowed him to have a world where he could divide people up and make himself distinct so that he could be continually hateful towards the Ninevites. And God is like, no, it's not your world. And even if it was, Jonah, this is the geniusness of the question, even if it was your world, is it going well for you? All that anger that you're dwelling on, is it good? Is how you're expressing emotion good for you? And he's wanting Jonah to see it for himself. And he's so kind because he's saying to Jonah basically like, hey man, this is not who you are. This is not who you are. You don't have to be this bitter. You don't have to drink that poison. You can go a different way. And this is exactly the compassionate face of Jesus Christ when we ourselves sin, it's as if God is looking at us from the cross and he says, this is not who you are. Don't do this. And the cross means that, you guys, we could never, ever, ever be more angry than God. Ever. Like he's going to deal with it in his own time. And you don't have to make people pay by hating them in your mind. And so we can put down our weapons of bitterness and anger because it's not good for anybody, especially us. So how does that actually get activated in your life? How can we participate in that work of God uprooting anger in our hearts? Well, the first step is when you feel your heart becoming judgmental towards someone, for instance. Like when you get, when you get triggered or somebody like, you know, messes with you. In some way. And you're like, I'm about, I'm about to blow up, you know? Um, when you begin to go down the path of the gospel, what you need to ask yourself, you can actually use the text of Scripture here. Ask yourself, Matt, do you do well to be angry? Let Scripture stop you. And just ask yourself the question is that, is that what you want to do? Do you do well to be angry? Don't ask, does it feel good to be? Of course, anger feels good in the moment. It's relieving. Uh, Rebecca, you remember Rebecca told her son Esau when Jacob stole all of his money and all of his future, it says that Esau comforted himself by planning to kill Jacob. Anger is comforting in the moment, but it is not good. And it takes a while to to figure out how to navigate that in your heart. This is why Martin Luther King Jr. was so foundational to our society because he pointed to the Bible, to the scriptures in the midst of abuse and said, retaliation is actually not where it's at. He preached, let justice roll down on a violent society. But what he did in his heart, and you can read about this in writings, all of his writings, what he did is that he loved his enemies in his heart. And the reason why is because that's the better way. It's the good way. It's the way of the gospel. And it began to heal our nation, to speak the truth in love. So, how do we do it? Well, let's say you hear that someone who has hurt you, you hear that they are having a hard time, or that they've fallen in some way, and some other, and in a way, in a way that like you know, you kind of agree with how how terrible they've been and other people are trashing them online or another community is trashing them. Here's how you fight anger. Here's how you loosen up the soil in your heart. You do not let your heart rejoice when your enemy falls. Let not your heart be glad when they stumble. Look, a lot of the stuff you guys like, no one's going to know about except you and the Lord. Like, that's the internal work going on here. Let's say your spouse does that thing again. That drives you crazy, right? Uprooting anger with the gospel says, hey, that that really hurts me and makes me sad, but I'm not going to make you pay. I'm not going to lash out. I'm not going to give you the silent treatment. I'm not going to box you out and try to protect my heart from it happening again, but I'm going to absorb it. By not letting my mind dwell on how you always do this. you know, Anytime you say always or never, uh, you know it's at work. And what begins to have this, is the beauty of the gospel, you guys, and I've seen it in y'all. Um, I, I, come, I, I come from an angry heart myself, and I've actually seen some healing in my life with this. What begins to happen is that the more you refuse your heart the initial false comfort of retaliation, What actually happens is that you become more gracious and compassionate. And the reason why, you guys, is because you lose your taste for anger. It stops functioning for you. And the reason why is because you begin to believe that God is far more angry than I could ever be, and He did not retaliate. And when you see Jesus drinking, you know, people have said anger is like drinking poison and hoping that your enemy dies, right? Well, when you see Jesus drinking that cup of poison, that bitter cup of God's wrath, when he had every right to make us drink it, it really does disarm the human heart. It's the center of everything. It's the center of healing. First in your own heart, then in your family, then in the community, and then the world. And then you catch a glimpse, like when you feel the Lord's non-retaliation on you, you begin to extend it to other people. And that's what it means to be the body of Christ in the world. Not to earn, not to earn God's favor. You don't do it to earn it, but, but you do it because it, it's literally better than anger. It tastes better to you than anger. This is what God is forming in us. That's why we come to this table, to allow the gospel to change us from the inside, knowing that he drank this cup of wrath so that we could drink it as a blessing and then offer that compassion to each other and to the world. This is how he begins that surgical removal of the deep roots of the things in our hearts that need to go. And so here's the invitation. Here's the invitation. I think you guys know that this is what God is like. The invitation is, you don't want to be angry, do you? And what God says to you at this table and in this text is that, I can take it out. Let me take it out. Would you like to participate in his work to take it out? because he would like to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the the deepness of your anger and that you didn't let it out on us. And that you came into this world, you incarnated into this world, you loved the Ninevites, and then you even loved Jonah. And you're drawn both the insider and the outsider into one new Humanity. So that we may all taste of the same loaf, which is your body. So that we may all be built up into, oh, the building that manifests the great gospel into this world. What wonder. And so, Lord, as we confess our sins and as we hear the assurance of salvation, that we would take uh, that good gospel deeply into our own hearts and uh, that we would see it at work in the world and in the city of Lincoln. In Christ's name, amen.